0: And we're looking in the book of Acts, which as I said last week is not the book of sitting, but the book of living, doing, being Christians. So in Acts chapter 23, uh, Christianity is, motion, is in motion is what I've told, titled sort of this study, but today I'm going to talk about a good conscience. And it's an amazing thing that Paul is able to say that he has no regrets about his life. I don't know if you understand the value of that statement, But to be able to say, I have no regrets. Now, that doesn't mean that he didn't have things that he regretted or that he had remorse about. But when you look back on his life, he sees something that fixed it all. That took all of his mess and all of his rebellion, his hatred, his anger, and cleaned up his conscience. Doesn't the world need a good cleaning of the conscience? Okay, A lot of people can put on on the outside, can put on a facade of, I'm a good person but inside them are dead men's bones. Inside them is filth. You wouldn't want to know what's going on inside of people's heads and in their hearts. So we're going to talk about Paul's good conscience, okay? Verse, chapter 23 and verse 1, where we're starting this morning, and Paul, <clears throat> earnestly beholding the council. Now get this idea. He's, he's once again, he's in trouble. He's held in court, and he's looking at his, the Jewish leaders of the Sanhedrin, And he's looking at them earnestly. We'd say the word passionately. He's not angry at them. They've just beaten him near to death, didn't they? And he's looking at them. And listen to what he says. Beholding, earnestly beholding, the council said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. I mean, I can just say, wow. To be able to say that, that cannot be said by most people. Most people do not know who they are, nor why they do what they do. They live half ashamed, and they hide what they're really doing and what they really are. They do. They have a what the Bible calls a seared conscience. If uh, if you ever leave an iron on a shirt or a skirt that you're ironing and you just leave it there, what happens? It burns it. Well, that's our conscience. When the sin that we allow to just constantly go around it burns us out it's like your clutch on your car if you're constantly riding your clutch which means always half engaging it 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 slowly is burning off and then you go to hit the clutch and it won't release and you're wondering why don't i care about what i'm watching why don't i care about what i'm saying why am i numb because your conscience got burned out so what is paul saying when he says i have lived in all good conscience before god this day well he's saying he never lived a lie not that he never told a lie but he didn't live it now i believe with all my heart that there are there are problems in the human soul all right there are psychological problems there's all kinds of things but some of them watch me follow me try to understand this some of our problems are self-created people who are sometimes bipolar Sometimes that is genetic, sometimes that's, I don't know, chemical, I don't know what at all. But some of it is that they are trying to divide two lives. And they have an outward life of happy, exciting, they're joyful, but inside they are dying. And as long as they live those two lives separately, they become bipolar in their reactions. You wonder, why are they like this one day and like this another day? That is not how a Christian is supposed to live. That's not how anybody's supposed to live. Paul uh, uh, did not live a lie. He has a clear conscience about his past and what he has been doing and saying all the way up until that very moment he's standing in front of them. He knows he's been wrong. <laughs> he knows he's been wrong in his hatred against Jesus. He admits that his religion was blind to so much of the Bible. And when he was shown that he was wrong, he changed direction, didn't he? You know, if you're on the wrong plane, now I've been on flights, and it's just funny because you sit down and you're sitting there and across the, the, uh, uh, the intercom comes this, this flight is going to Scotland. If you're on the wrong flight, get off. <laughs> but you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm too embarrassed. I guess I might as well get to get to Scotland and then get to Paris from there. That is what people do. They come to church and I'm showing them from the Bible, they're on the wrong track and they go, well, I won't make a move. I'll just keep going the way I do. No, change planes, amen. A good conscience says, I was wrong. I'm gonna go in the other direction now. And with that same passion that he used to live against Jesus, think about the energy he had, he hated Jesus. He wanted everybody hurt. And, and even murdered who was following Jesus. And now he wanted everybody saved. With the same passion he lived, he has been transformed because there was a conscience in him that said, I need to do this. So let's define conscience for a moment. How many of you were those, was that kid, mama's kitchen, you heard about the old man who's sitting up in bed and he smells the, the, the cookies, the chocolate chip cookies cooking downstairs. And he's on his deathbed, man. He's sitting there, man, those cookies smell great. So he crawls down the stairs and crawls into the kitchen and reaches up the counter and grabs a cookie, and his wife slaps him and says, that's for the funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Well, a child sneaking into the cookie jar, all right, we understand that. Our conscience is one of the things that separates us from animals. It's not the fact that we know we're alive. Most people define the conscience as a self-awareness. No, it's not just self-awareness. It's a moral compass that God gave us. We have God's law written in our heart. That's our conscience. It's when we know instinctively what's right. Why is he looking over his shoulder, reaching into that cookie jar? Because he knows. Well, not just because he wants to make sure nobody's looking, but he knows what he's doing is wrong. Okay, that's our conscience. Our conscience, or at least we should have a conscience (laughs) that says, I shouldn't be doing this. Our conscience is the moral center of our being. Sometimes the Bible calls it our heart. And what does the Bible say? Our heart is desperately wicked, man. There's something wrong with our moral compass. So it is a good thing to have a good conscience, we would say, amen? Well, Paul's got one. Let's start back there in verse one. We'll read down to verse five. Read verse one again with me quietly. And Paul earnestly, behold, the council said, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then Paul said unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. They that stood by said, "Revilest thou, we'd say mockest thou God's high priest. And then said Paul, I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. Now, you just watch something that was a miracle, okay? Because Paul says, what I'm doing as I stand in the audience of this Sanhedrin and stand in the audience of the council, the government of his people. He says, I have a good conscience standing here before you. Now, there was in the midst of them the high priest. Now, he didn't actually... Wear superior clothes, so there there are things I'm going to talk about. He didn't know the high priest was there. But the high priest was there, and the high priest would be like our high court. Whenever the court system couldn't make a decision, they would bring it to the high priest. and He would make a decision, hopefully according to the law, according to the Bible. But in the midst of that crowd was the high priest. And uh, he has no respect for Paul. And Paul says, I have a good conscience. Let me finish this thing. Uh, and I have to say this. I have noticed the more we go into the smartphone age, the more we live for entertainment, fewer and fewer people have any conscience. I don't know if that's true, that what you think, but I think most people don't care how they live. I don't think people care how they talk. I am really, really sick and tired of the language that is everywhere. I mean Everybody uses words that just 10 years ago, you'd only hear in smaller circles. But now, almost everyone is filthy in their, you can't join in a conversation because there's filthy language, there's just, and they don't even know they're saying it. They're so used to it. Paul has a good conscience. He was real in living out his beliefs, even when his beliefs were wrong. We call it being sincere. Paul wasn't religious only on holy days and then uh, uh, the rest of the time he was just, uh, you know, living his own ways. He was who he was 24 hours, seven days a week. That was Paul. He lived by a good conscience. He was honest in his thinking. He honestly thought he was serving God. When he was going after Christians, he honestly thought the Christians were blaspheming God. Jesus was blaspheming God. And so he's honestly living out what he thought was true. Now, Paul had remorse. He didn't really have regrets. He had remorse or sorrow about his past life. But when he looked back on his life, he didn't say, oh, I lived a miserable life. No, he looked back and he says, you know, God was there. You know, God has made up for all of my failures. That is Paul having a good conscience. There are people who have no conscience, and there are those people who beat themselves up every day. Don't live either way. A good conscience is not beating themselves up all the time. Oh, I'm a bad person. Oh, I'm a bad person. Oh, I, I, I said a bad thing again. Oh, I got angry. Beat, beat, beat. No, you got to realize. Whew. A, a Christian knows we mess up, but the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin constantly as we confess it, forsake it. The best way in your life, somebody wrote this and said, a clear conscience is the best pillow. And it's true. It's a good pillow, man. You want to be able to go to sleep at night? Keep your conscience clear. You ever do something wrong, say something wrong, be quick to say you're sorry, and then go to sleep at night, man. You hold on to that anger, Paul says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. You keep that anger, you'll find yourself not able to sleep for days. Amazingly, what is amazing to me is that Paul's conscience, he's conveying to them, guys, I have no ulterior motive. I'm not up here trying to destroy you. I'm not trying to destroy the Roman Empire. I I see abuses, but I'm not here to destroy, to hurt, to fight. I want you all to have what I have, a clean conscience. And you'll get that through Jesus Christ. And then what's funny is he gets out 15 words, five seconds. Let me just read it to you. All right. He says, men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. took five seconds or five and a half seconds to read. And there comes a word out, smite him strike him verse 2 and the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him where okay shall I demonstrate <laughs> who was to volunteer now this is <laughs> this <laughs> Rocky this does not actually I I don't think there's a picture that actually show what actually occurred but one of those soldiers like a flinch, went right into Paul's mouth. Think about that. From that moment, Paul, up until that moment, has been able to speak clearly. He can be understood. But after he has hit, his mouth is swelling up and bleeding. That high priest calculated, we have to shut him up. If there's anything that's going to happen on monday morning where you say you know i'm going to take some gospel tracks i'm going to hand somebody a gospel track the devil will poof, and shut you up and make it so oh i can't speak now paul just could not be allowed to speak paul's testimony was persuasive these men had heard paul give his testimony on the fortress of antonio outside of jerusalem they didn't want to hear it again Because they knew people were listening. And you know your testimony. You say, oh, pastor, I wasn't saved like you. And so and so didn't have the testimony. Your testimony is powerful because it's what Jesus did for you. And you just say that, you are are bringing down the devil's strongholds just by your testimony of salvation. And Paul's mouth is swelling up and bleeding. And he's going to find it hard to speak from now on. And that's when he loses his cool. So if I just, without warning, punch somebody's mouth, not their shoulder or their chin or face, but straight into the mouth, if I did that, would you lose your cool? Paul is human. I mean, somebody punches you, what is your reaction? Punch them back, make it count, man. <laughs> Mm, look at verse 3. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee. I mean, he's talking through blood, man, but he's, God's going to hit you square in your face, buddy. Thou whited wall. Now, a whited wall is where you've painted over something. Usually it was a tomb, and it looks beautiful, but inside there's death. And he just, whew, he, he knows who said smite him, and he says, God will smite you. Man. you know I think Paul said that felt good <laughs> to hit back huh mmm and I think he's right because God will pay off you know the Bible says you will reap what you sow you live by the sword you're gonna die by the sword and then verse 4 happens I want to I want you to see Paul's conscience being pricked look in verse 4 they that stood by said thou. Maybe you sure, the God's high priest Wow, the guy who just hit him said, you just mocked the high priest. You're you're upset at the high priest. I mean, this is funny. It was okay for what the high priest wanted done, to slam Paul. But when Paul rebukes him, oh, that was bad. That's why I don't have much attention for people who are offended. Oh, you upset my feelings. Well, quit running over my feet. See, it's what people do that they should be in trouble for. People say stuff all the time, and everybody wants to be upset over you hurt my feelings. Which is worse, what happened to Paul's mouth or what happened to Ananias' pride? But they were worried about Ananias. You're upsetting the high (laughs) priest. I think that's hilarious. You know, hypocrisy is everywhere. We get all upset over what somebody says and yet they'll murder millions of babies and they'll redefine words and they'll they'll defile little children but if i speak out against it oh they want to make it a hate crime that bible talks about all issues folks now this is paul's conscience watch this he backs down he's a better man wow (laughs) verse five then said paul I wist not, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, Wow, thou shalt not speak evil of the ruler of thy people. That's a godly man. He's a better man. Paul wants to keep his conscience clear. And when he says, I wist not, it means he didn't know that that evil man in the midst of that council there was the high priest. He didn't know that it was the high priest. History records, I actually was kind of surprised, history records that, The previous high priest, Caiaphas, was dead. And the current high priest was in trouble because he had had to step down. And so at that time, there were a couple of temporary high priests. And so Paul's been out of town, hasn't he? So when he comes in Jerusalem, he didn't know this was the guy who was the current high priest at the time. He says, I didn't know that was the high priest. He just saw him as a man in the council that did something that was against the law. You, You who are standing up to judge me according to the law are going against the very law, he said. And he admits he was wrong. That's a better man, would you agree? Why, why would he do that? First of all, because he's a Bible believer. Secondly, because he wants to keep his clean conscience. Keep him humble. And that is breathtaking, folks. Exodus twenty-two twenty-eight says, Thou shalt not revile the gods, and he's not talking about false gods, but authorities, nor curse the ruler of thy people. You know, people who are an authority, By default, you're supposed to respect them. You can point out where they're doing wrong, but you better do it respectfully. That's what we've lost. Our culture is a third world culture. culture. We don't respect anybody. And the Bible commands us to respect authority. And I'm going to say this. If you're going to claim to believe the Bible, then you're going to have to eat a lot of humble pie. You know what humble pie tastes like? Dirt. (laughs) Dirt. you're at the bottom you're the one saying you're sorry to the one who may have said something or done something against you honor your authorities God commands it humble yourself when you admit that you're wrong maybe the other person's wrong maybe they were wrong first but if you want a clear conscience ladies and gentlemen and Paul is able through a bloodied pulsing uh, um, uh, puffy mouth able to say I was wrong why would he do that because he's a bible believer he says the bible says i gotta i gotta honor him wow if your goal is to have a clear conscience then you've got to be able to say it is written i have to do this i'm sorry i'm sorry then he says all right as little as he can speak he's going to speak look in verse six When Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees and the other were Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. Now that took him about nine seconds to say, but that's all he could say. Before that, he was ready to preach for the next hour. Through the blood, through the spurting, through the swollen lips, He says, I believe in the resurrection and that's why I'm in trouble. This is a classic move. All right. It's called divide and conquer. (laughs) There were two religious groups as part of the Sanhedrin, powerful groups in Judaism at the time. Uh, They were called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees, they believed the Bible literally. They took the Bible literally. When the Bible recorded miracles, they said, that was a miracle. Manna on the ground every morning for six days, um, quail in the evening, um, uh, the ten plagues, uh, split in the Red Sea. They believed it. Guess what? So do I. All right. The Pharisees believed even in the impossible miracle of resurrection. There were three resurrections in the Old Testament that are pretty amazing. One of them is called the widow of Zarephath, who Elijah raises her son, the Shunammite woman's son was raised by Elisha. And then there was one time where a man, they're carrying a, a, a corpse and they're coming along and Elisha's been buried. It, they didn't even know that his, he was in the, the hole in the ground and because they had to pile them on top of each other. And they dropped this corpse into the hole and got ready to cover it up. And up pops this man back out of the, corp, out of the ground. <laughs> and he was resurrected just by touching the body. You say, you believe that? I believe it. I believe it because the Bible says it and that I'm just that simple I found the Bible to be true in everything that I can test so I'll trust it when I can't I wasn't there but I trust what the Bible says because I everything that I can test has come out true so I will just believe it all amen that's what a Bible believer believes God created the world in six days I mean, start to finish, done. I don't care how far away galaxies are. There's all kinds of neat explanations for this thing. I just believe it because the Bible says it. That's a Bible believer. And if I can encourage you, just enjoy it. They took the Bible literally. Now, the Sadducees, they denied miracles. They were your politicians. They were only in power politically. They denied miracles and spirits and angels and resurrections. Uh, Look there. Let's keep reading. Um... Verse 7, and when he had so said, there arose a dissension, verse 7, between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the multitude was. All right, up up until that point, that council of 71 men, 70 elders and leaders of the Sanhedrin, and a high priest there, they were all unified. We want him judged and, and executed. And in a moment, he has brought up, I believe in the resurrection. And all of a sudden, the two of them went, He's like us. And the other one going, oh, no, another Bible believer. And the Sadducees, they didn't believe in miracles or spirits or angels or resurrections. That's why they were known as sad. You see? Anybody would be. And yet most people are Sadducees. They'll read the Bible, but they don't believe any of it. And aren't you sad for it? Now... (laughs) claudius intervenes because all of a sudden there is a uh, uh, dissension there verse 8 goes on the sadducees say there is no resurrection neither angel nor spirit but the pharisees confess both and then verse 9 and there arose a great cry all of a sudden these two begin to argue with each other instead of against paul wasn't that classic wasn't that awesome Grows a great cry, and the scribes that were the Pharisees' part arose and strove, saying, We find no evil in this man, but if a spirit, watch this, or an angel hath spoken to him, let us not fight against God. What are the Pharisees saying? And then, don't the Pharisees were not totally wrong, but the Pharisees believed that God did speak to man, that God did intervene in the course of history. And Paul is claiming that the Messiah spoke to him, and that God through his son, has spoken to him. And the Pharisees say, maybe we've been wrong. Maybe God has spoken to Paul. And so they pull away from the Sadducees. And the Sadducees are furious because it's just like an atheist. How can you believe that? And they're the one angry going, look at you. (laughs) I mean, just go on your own way if you don't want to believe it. But they hated anybody believing the Bible. So in verse 10, it says this. And there arose a great dissension. They were arguing. I mean, Paul has started another riot. Okay. And the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them. The, the Pharisees are pulling him saying, he's like us. And the Sadducees, no, he's got to be judged. And Paul's in there. And I, I, I like this guy. Uh, Claudius Lysias, it says this, um, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. I mean, uh, you know, sometimes you wonder why there's so much stuff going on in the world. It's just nice when somebody intervenes. Here comes uh, Claudius Lysias. He's the uh, one of the generals there, the Roman generals, and he rescues Paul again. I mean, he... He seems to always have to get Paul out of a mess. I want a friend like that, amen? Um, Verse 11, then Jesus encourages Paul. I want you to get the picture. Verse 11, in the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, cheer up. (laughs) For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, and that's what he did, didn't he? so must thou so must thou bear witness also at rome you're not alone paul and there's so much more for you to do remember paul has been severely beaten several times he has broken ribs he has bruises all over his body (laughs) from his face down he's sitting in a roman jail he's beginning to think that perhaps agabus was right remember when agabus say he tied himself up and he says only bonds and afflictions are going to stick with you buddy and Paul says, ah, it doesn't matter to me now. He's like, I guess it does matter. Maybe my life is over. Maybe my ministry is over. Maybe I'll never be able to preach again. I mean, I, I you probably lost two or three teeth in the, in the process. And he's sitting there thinking, how do I recover from this? You know what else I thought about? You don't find anybody coming and encouraging Paul, do you? Nobody's knocking on the jail door saying, Paul, I'm praying for you. Nobody's texting him saying, how you doing, Paul? (laughs) Paul's alone. At least he thought. And then Jesus says, cheer up. You know, if Jesus says, cheer up, boy, you can smile. Amen? Hebrews, hold your place here in Acts. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews 13 and verse 5. Hebrews 13, 5 says... let your conversation be without covetousness Ah, oh, boy you ought to memorize that verse <laughs> what do we always talk about what we don't have and what we want well let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have why how can a christian be content for he jesus has said i will say it with me never leave thee nor forsake thee Boy, that's encouraging you're never alone proverbs 3 five don't go there but quote it with me trust in the lord with all thy heart and lean not on thine own understanding just stop there with that one just realize paul was looking at things and trying to understand what's all happening he says i guess i'll just trust the lord jesus says just trust him i preached in jerusalem he says i'm going to preach in rome can't wait that's trust now it's not over Look in verse 12, back there in Acts chapter 23, verse 12. And when it was day, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Uh, We call those religious zealots, and they're planning to murder Paul. How many? Verse 13, and there were more than 40 which had made this conspiracy. 40 men who says we're not going to eat or drink you know how long you can go without water three or four days and they're willing we're, we're, we'll go until we can kill him that's that's desperate this is a kind of threat that Paul faced constantly it's the same kind of threat that any kind of people especially during the early days of the Reformation uh, Martin Luther was hunted all his life after he got converted John Huss burned at the stake William Tyndale burned at the stake they were hunted and murdered Here's Paul. And they came to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great curse that we will eat nothing until we have slain Paul. And that pleased these religious leaders. Verse 15. Now therefore, uh, ye with the council signify... Announce to the chief captain that he bring him down, Paul down, unto you tomorrow as though ye would inquire something more perfectly concerning him and we, or ever he come near, are ready to kill him. We'll be waiting for him and when he is walking through there with maybe one guard or two guard, 40 of us will overwhelm them and kill Paul and then we'll rush, run away. Hmm. I mean, I'm going to say this. This is what men want to do. What do you think the devil wants to do to you? If you ever start living for God, the devil turns up the heat, brings in extra forces against your life, and you wonder, now that I've been saved, it's gotten harder. Yeah. That's Paul. Every time he tries to do something right, everything is coming against him. Verse 16. Their plan gets known. Verse 16. And when Paul's sister's son heard of their lying in wait he went he entered into the castle and he told Paul and then Paul called one of the centurions unto him and said bring this young man unto the chief captain for he has a certain thing to tell him so he took him and brought him unto the chief captain and, and said Paul the prisoner called me unto him and prayed me begged me to bring this young man unto thee who has something to say unto thee and the chief captain took him by the hand and went with him aside privately and he asked him what is that thou hast to tell me he said, the Jews have agreed to desire thee that thou wouldest bring down Paul tomorrow into the council as though they would inquire somewhat of him more perfectly. They just want to ask him a question. Verse 21. But do not thou yield unto them. Don't give in to them for they li- their lie in wait for him of them more than 40 men which have bound themselves with an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now are they ready looking for a promise from thee. So, All of a sudden, uh, you've got these 40 or more religious zealots who just want to murder Paul, stop him, shut him up. The plan is known. Tell Lysias, the captain, verse 22, the chief captain then let the young man depart and says, oh, I don't want to be bothered with these Jews again. Might as well just let Paul go. No, watch, watch what happens. So the chief captain then let the young man depart and charged him, say, charged him, commanded him, see thou tell no man. That thou hast showed these things unto me. And at that point, God shows that he will protect those who serve him. Watch this. This is absolutely one of the best parts of the chapter. It is so cool. Verse 23. And he called unto him two centurions, each one in charge of a hundred men, saying, Make ready two hundred soldiers. I mean, how many are they going to protect? One guy. So... 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea, about 28 miles north, and horsemen, three score and 10, which is 70, 70 horsemen, and spearmen, 200 more sharpshooters, snipers. That's what what these guys are. They are super trained at throwing at long distance. 470 men. Look at this protection. 470 men are going to protect one guy. Who did that? Was it just in the heart of Cla- uh, Claudius Lysias? It's God. When, when Paul's just with a clear conscience, just doing his best and just preaching. Paul's not saying, God, I need protection. Oh, God, I need an army. No, God says, Paul, wait till you see what I've got waiting for you outside. <laughs> You're going with an armed escort up to Caesarea. I'm going to protect you all the way. Mm, take your Bible. Would you would you go to Psalm 34? Hold your place here. Go to Psalm 34. Psalm 34 in verse 7. <clears throat> Kings rarely had 470 men protecting them. Normally when you transferred a governor, you'd have 1 or 200 maximum. Paul has double what any king or royalty or powerful person would have had to protect them. Paul's got the biggest army surrounding him. Look in verse 37, uh, chapter 34, verse 7. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth him. One angel, according to the Bible, can kill 185,000 men in one night. So God says, you know what, buddy? I'll surround you with the angel of the Lord, and I'll take care of you. Every morning you wake up and you can say, thank you, Lord, you're watching over me. When I'm weak, you're protecting me. That's God reminding us that he protects us. Now I want to say this. This is the first time that government is shown to actually be working. I think it's quite humorous. Verse 25, still in 23, 25. And he wrote a letter after this manner. So I don't think I read verse 30, uh, so 23, uh, let me read that again. He called unto them two centurions, saying, make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen three score and ten, and spearmen 200 at the third hour of the night. That's 3 a.m. We should go when nobody's going to be able to find you, see you, or whatever, and provide them beasts that they may set Paul on. He's going to be able to ride, not just have to walk, and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. And then he wrote a letter after this manner, and he says, Claudius Lysias, under the most excellent governor Felix, sendeth greeting. This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. Then came I. All right, notice. (laughs) Everybody who's in politics always wants to bring in, oh, and I saved him. Then came I with an army, and I rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. And when I would have known the cause, wherefore they accused him, hmm, I brought him forth unto their council. Whom I perceive to be accused of questions of the law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or of bonds. I haven't heard anything wrong that he's done that he should be in jail or die. Verse 30. And when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, I've just been informed that there were men trying to, laying in wait to kill him, I sent straightway to thee. I have escalated this thing to my supervisor. <laughs> and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before thee what they had against him farewell now what i'm wanting you to see is that that's how government's supposed to work you're supposed to protect not the masses of people but an individual when they've been accused and no evidence has been brought out you protect them that's that's a biblical truth expressed that you know if there's no evidence against you you should be set free amen and if there's a continual accusation, you don't give in to the accusation without proof. You escalate it till fun, somebody finally able to say guilty or innocent. That's how government's supposed to work. Government's supposed to protect people. Unfortunately, they're protecting only the wrong kind of people. But government was actually working, and this was our sovereign God being in control. So Paul's now going to be heard by a higher court. And uh, read down there, let's see. Verse 31, then the soldiers, as it was commanded, them took Paul and brought him by night unto Antipatris, 28 miles away in the north. And the morrow, on the morrow, they left the horsemen to go with him and returned back to the castle as soon as they delivered him, who when they came to Caesarea and delivered the epistle, the letter to the governor, presented Paul also before him. Watch this. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was. And when he understood that he was of Cilicia, he was born in Cilicia over in Turkey, he said, I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers also are come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. Paul is going to get another audience. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to give his testimony again. But now I've got to stop because next week we're going to pick up here Paul before Felix. But I want you to jump down to verse 16 in chapter 24. And I want you to see Paul brings up his conscience one more time. We're going to learn from it. 24 verse 16. Twenty four sixteen says this. He's actually going to. He's speaking to Felix, and he says, "Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men." Now I'm going to blow you away. Just hold that thought. Verse seventeen. Now after many years I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. Whereupon certain Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with multitude nor with tumult, not with a riot, who ought to have been here before thee and object if they had ought against me. I better just stop there. I just want you to see for a second there's some signs of a clear conscience that Paul's has that we need. In front of this governor, he says, Governor, I have no hidden agenda. My heart conscience is clear. I don't have a secret thing that I'm trying to do. I have no power grab. I'm not deceiving anybody, I have no hypocrisy, I have no secret life. As a matter of fact, my life has been an open, boring book. Most of us don't like ourselves. Most of us don't ever open our life because we're afraid or maybe ashamed of what people see in it. Paul says, my life is open. My life has always been true to God and to myself. See, a lot of people are being told today, you know what kids are being told? Be true to yourself be true to yourself. Paul says you better be true to God first. Nothing wrong with being true to yourself, but be true to God. And he was not angry at those religious. He wasn't looking at the going, "They they're mean, Felix. They're nasty. They're not nice." <laughs> no, he's not trying to bring down the religious, and he's definitely not trying to bring down the Romans. And yet isn't that what most YouTube preachers are today? We need to bring down the government. We need to expose this. We are, they're a bunch of angry people stirring up angry people. That's not Christian. Paul's not up there saying, you know, I'm fed up with you Romans and you Jews. and I just want to burn you all. Jesus rebuked James and John when they had that spirit, didn't they? He said, you know not what manner of spirit you're of. Paul has a clear conscience. He doesn't remember what happened yesterday. He's looking at them saying, I'm worried about their soul. If they've got something against them. Tell him to come along. Tell him to talk to me. Tell him to expose. If there's something against me, show me what I've been wrong. I will apologize. Didn't he already prove that? Wow. He just loved his people, the Jews. He was not part of a multitude. When he was caught in the temple, he wasn't a part of a group saying, all right, we're going to burn this place down. No. He wasn't a part of a tumult or a riot. He just constantly told everybody, just what happened to him on the road to Damascus. Isn't that cool? How's your conscience? What is your life like? Is your, con- is your life so complex you don't know whether you're coming or going? You don't know what lies you've told and you have to keep telling. How is your conscience? Paul knows he's been wrong about in the past about Jesus. Have you admitted that yet? You know, you'll never be saved until you find out that you've been wrong. You cannot get born again till you realize, Whew, I'm a sinner, I'm lost, without hope, without God. Whew. He has no desire to ruin or defile or destroy anything. You need to worry about your conscience. Paul, I think, is showing us, ladies and gentlemen, I'm doing this as an example. God's using it as an example that Paul's worried about his ability to look at people and not hold anything against them and be able just to love them and give them the gospel, no matter how they mistreat him, that's the better man. Would you agree? Ask yourself about your own conscience. Is it numb? Do you even care about how you talk? I get convicted. Oh, not enough. But I get convicted. Man, that's rude. That's harsh. That's, mm, mm. You say, well, I don't know how I am. Ask your wife. Ask your kids, am I harsh? Yeah, Dad. Yeah, Mom. Do you have a conscience? (laughs) (laughs) Slapped. Sorry. (laughs) Do you ever fear sinning? Not getting caught. Everybody's afraid of getting caught. Do you actually fear what you pick up on your phone and you watch? Do you ever look over your shoulder and go, I wonder if somebody comes in and sees me watching this? Throw it away, man. Have a conscience. Do you ever worry about offending God? I think, Christians, the more we hear the filth of this world, the more we're going to let it slip out of our own mouth. We better be very afraid of what we're letting out of our mouth. Be swift to apologize. Humble yourself Below others. That's what Christians do. You say, that's so demeaning. That's what Jesus did. He stepped down into our world and then humbled himself and became a servant. And he served all the way to the cross and allowed men to kill him. That's humbling. And then love people. In spite of what they do to you. If you want to sleep at night. If you want to stay up all night, just stay angry. Second thing do you believe in the resurrection Paul's whole point is to preach about a living Savior Jesus alive from the dead most people are Sadducees they don't believe any of the miracles especially that Jesus is alive oh he's a good teacher but he's still dead that's a Sadducee I'm again they're sad <laughs> I got saved because all of a sudden it hit me he's alive he is very people give their lives Not for a doctrine, not for a religion, but for somebody who is alive, for Jesus. Because believing in the resurrection will save your soul. Go to Romans, you're in Acts, go to the right, two more scriptures and we're done. Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 Romans chapter ten and verse nine says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, did you ever said that, or do you just go Jesus? I mean, there's something when you give him honor and you go, Lord Jesus. Yes. That's somebody. Can you say with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead? What will happen? Well, I thought i had to be baptized. I thought I had to join Pastor Craig's church. I thought I, well, I thought I had to give away all my money. Man, if I just believe that he's alive, that changes everything, doesn't it? I'm going to face him someday. He's, he saves, and if he hasn't saved me, he'll be my judge. I better get saved, amen? Believing in the resurrection is the foundation for the Christian life it'll clean your count it'll clean up your conscience and it will make it so you'll look back at your life and you go I was a mess I hated God I hated Jesus I hated Christians I hated the Bible I hated good people and then Jesus knocked on my heart and he humbled me and he won and I confessed that I was a sinner and I cried out to him to save me and now when I look back on my life I have remorse but I don't have regrets because that was me I is different now I don't live there now. And Jesus actually washed all of that away. Paul's able to say, I live with a clean conscience. Hallelujah. Only Jesus Christ can give you that. And then, secondly, he'll clean up your life. Look at 1 John, all the way to the right, just for revelation. Last verse. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. First John, not the Gospel of John go all the way to the end of your Bible, just for Revelation. find First John chapter three, verse two and three, Beloved. Now are we the sons of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. I don't know what I'm going to be like in the future when I'm in heaven, but we know that when he shall appear, we're going to be just like Him, we shall see Him as He is. And I'm looking forward, Hey, I'm not looking forward to a hole in the ground. I'm not looking to worms. I'm looking, not looking forward to stinking and decaying. You may put my body into that grave, but the Bible says this, I don't know what this body's going to look like when I get resurrected, but he says, when I see him, my body's going to be like his, and when he shall appear, we're going to be like him. I'm sorry, verse 3, and every man that hath this hope of everlasting life purifieth himself. You know, if you believe in, in eternal life you believe that this this life is only a vapor and if you believe that you're gonna face God and you're going to answer for how you lived your life man it cleans up your life and you go you know what I can't just live any way I want it keeps me where I want to live clean because the Lord Jesus is gonna say what were you thinking led better when you did that and that and that and that and that you say well Lord I didn't know I didn't think you were watching oh yeah stand with me and bow (coughs) your heads please every head bowed every eye closed would you just take a moment and think about what if you met him today what if it was over today after everything you've heard do you wish that you could get everything cleaned up from your past change your life do you wish you had a clear conscience do you wish that this this truth that propelled Paul to keep going even when he was beaten and bruised and rejected wouldn't that be some way to live wouldn't that be some way to live if you want it it's found when Jesus moves into your life and cleans it up But he's not going to move into your life if you don't believe he's alive. That's the that's the key. If you think he's dead and he's just a good man who taught some good things, you'll, you'll be the same and you'll die and be lost forever in a devil's hell. But if you'd like to have eternal life, here's your chance. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe him, believe on believe that God hath raised him from the dead shall be saved for with the mouth confession is made unto salvation and with the heart the heart man believeth unto righteousness and, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved that's the gospel truth you just need one word one name on your lips and that's the name Jesus Christ I believe you live and you want me and I right now for the first time in my life I want you Save me now. I'll live for you forever. Father, I pray somebody prays that. I pray the rest of us Christians start to start think about, you know, Lord, I, I got this conscience and I never deal with it. And I'm going through life and I, I'm bipolar. I have all this past that I hold on to and I've never let you just wash it away. I've got all this hurt. I've got all this anger. I've got all of this frustration that just just I can't let go and it's killing me and i seen today that it's possible to just put it into your care and to walk on go forward not that it didn't happen not that somebody doesn't need to be rebuked or dealt with and things need to be paid forward That's all fine but as far as we're concerned it's under the blood and I'm going to live clean and whole because of Jesus Christ not because somebody else made up and fixed up all the things that were wrong but Jesus made it all possible Jesus took care of it all And I pray for Christians in this room to look at their conscience and go God I'm 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 tired of living a double life angry one minute nice the next and not able to just be clear in conscience just who I am loving people, serving you. I pray you just work in every one of our hearts today. Make us like Jesus, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's grab our hymnal.